Please note, this edition of the podcast contains coarse language, which some listeners might find confronting. In this edition of the podcast, Marco Fusinato's Disastrous at the Venice Biennale. The Australian Pavilion this year presents an artwork filled with noise and somewhat of an endurance piece by the artist. The curator, Australian all-round art superhero Alexi Glass Cantor, speaks with Marco about the nature of his piece, his inspiration, and the massive effort required for the preparation of the piece and the ongoing performance, which, remember, runs for 200 days. I'm Tim Stackpole, and this is Inside the Gallery. Thanks for downloading the podcast once again, and of course, we acknowledge the original custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced and listened to, and we pay our respects to First Nations elders around the world, past, present and emerging. And thanks too to our episode sponsor, Pixel Perfect Pro Lab, who concentrate on faithful photographic reproductions of your work for exhibition. And you can learn more about their services at pixelperfect.com.au. And a reminder, too, of our own catalogue of short-form items that we produced or acquired over the years, that's video work, which you can view on demand for free at www.australianartschannel.com.au. Marco Fusinato's Disastrous, curated by Alexi Glass Cantor, is an experimental noise project that synchronises sound with images on a large screen and takes the form of a durational solo performance as the installation. Fusanato performs live in the pavilion for the duration of the Venice Biennale using an electric guitar as a signal generator and he improvises slabs of noise and saturated feedback and discordant intensities that trigger a deluge of images on the accompanying large screen. The resulting all-consuming experience is open for the audience to interpret and make sense of, and there is a link to some vision from the pavilion in the description of this episode at www.insidethegallery.com.au if you want to take a look and a listen. Now, the Australia Council for the Arts is the commissioner for Australia's national participation in this, the 59th International Art Exhibition of the Biennale in Venice, and if you're familiar with Marco, you know he's not one for idle chit-chat about his work, but... Having great faith, trust and respect in the curator, Alexi Glass Cantor, Marco sat down with Alexi to discuss the inspiration, the process and the mindset required to create a work that meets both the expectation of the public and, of course, to the satisfaction of the artist. In this project, there's no real theme as such, um, but I'm hoping that um, the, it's open enough for the audience to try and make sense of um, that when one image rubs up against another... What you see in one, the person next to you may not see, and then that becomes part of the work that you form your own narrative. And there is some kind of intention through all this, and that is, you know, to create some kind of uh, hallucination or um, yeah, exhaustion from confusion and... Um, Static intensity. There is that too, yeah. yeah. There, there is a, a level of intensity involved in this. It's, it's, the images can move um, quickly rapidly, anywhere between one image a day up to 60 images per second, and I can control that, um, and the sound potentially can be super loud. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a step back, Marco, if we can, just to give them a bit of a sense, because the images occur on a structure that is essentially a sculptural form. We've set up an Instagram account for this project called Disasters underscore Disasters. But, you know, Marco, your family are from the Veneto. Mm. This is your third time participating in the Venice Biennale. You've done an addition with the Architecture Biennale. You did an addition with Ocqui and Wazor with a very pivotal work um, from the Horde to the Bee. This is your first time representing, you know, the country of your ancestors and the country of your birth. Mm. And can we speak a little bit about the role of language and that kind of journey that you've had through this project and what it means for you to be representing Australia? One thing that's really struck me is that uh, with this project, I'm returning to exactly the place my parents migrated from to represent the country they migrated to. So my parents and my extended family come from the Veneto region of Italy, which um, has seven provinces, and we're from the northernmost one called Belluno. Uh, it's uh, the, the villages my parents are from, are just under 100 kilometres north of Venice, at the foothills of the Dolomite Ranges, a very beautiful part of the world, but ec economically deprived. Um, uh, my parents migrated with my brother in 1960, and one thing that's become really evident through this process is language. My parents are contadini, which uh, is a form of pre-agricultural farmer or peasant, meaning there's no, there's no, um, there's no, uh, there's no engines. There's no, there's no plumbing. Um, you know, there's donkeys. The language they speak and migrated with, and we always spoke at home, is a dialect. Well, actually, it's a language. It's a, it's, it's, it's a language that's thousands of years old. And in my lifetime, that language is disappearing. Um, why? Because many things, but uh, mass media, um, Mussolini's idea of the republic, um, the way proper Italian is taught in schools. So my parents are the last uh, of, of the generations to speak this language. And because I grew up speaking this language at home, it's kind of in a time capsule. So when I go back and speak the way I speak, my friends and relatives all can't believe it because it's like I'm something from the past. So that's been really interesting to kind of think through uh, with this um, project. And uh, this language that I speak now is only heard in aged care facilities because that generation are all in their late 80s, 90s, or gone. And, um, and it's a beautiful language, a really beautiful language. And it just makes me think of the history and culture of this place and how much has been lost over many, many thousands of years. And, and um, that's really been uh, something to, to, to think through. Um, I think, you know, Marco's father was born in 1916, his mother was born in 1933. Marco and I travelled to Italy together to do a project in 2010 called Still Vast Reserves in Rome. And it was the first time when I travelled with Marco that when I heard Marco speak, taxi drivers would kind of tear up because the language that he spoke is one that really isn't heard. He's a bit like a time traveller when he's there. And when we returned together, we, we did one site visit together in December 2019. Marco was performing in Milan and we got the train to, to Venice and the manager of the pavilion gave us the keys and we got inside and we were like, who let a couple of punks like us have the keys to the Monaro? And, you know, we were so kind of overwhelmed and, and honoured by this opportunity. And so that kind of connection back. But this project... 
you know, the role of language in this project, which is about things that can be spoken but not spoken, things that are felt as intensities through time, that speak to us all individually and collectively in different ways with force, through both the combination of sound and image, is such a strong and recurrent kind of amplification and intensity in your work. And I suppose, you know, on the back of that, Marco, you know, we did actually, I will tell you one thing, we did launch the title for this project in Il Globo, which is the Italian national syndicated newspaper. Uh, we wanted his mama to have the scoop, so that went ahead of the AFR, um, but she thought the font was too small. Yeah, she's, and, and the image was appalling. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marco and I are not so concerned about audiences liking the work, but we are concerned with audiences responding to the work. And something that Marco and I, when we applied to do this project, someone said the other day, you know, you would have done a slapdash proposal, but we've nothing about this has been slapdash. Everything has been considered and something that was always really important to us um, was that the audience know that they have a pulse. And there was always an element to this work which was a combination of installation and performance. And in this work we have a 200-day durational performance, but when Marco is there or not there, it's still a performance. It's not about the artist as hero or about the performer as star, but it's as much about labour, perseverance, absenteeism. Do you want to talk a little bit about how the performance and installation come together? I guess I can talk about the previous project where this is coming from. There's, there's quite a few different projects that this is uh, being influenced by. One is a project from 10 plus years ago called Spectral Arrows, which I continue to do, which is this occupation of a space like a gallery or a museum where I set up amplification and perform noise um, for the entire duration of the working day, so usually eight hours. And um, it's this idea of labour, you know, turning up and um, working. And that came out of the frustration of playing improvised music, touring, travelling 24 hours on a plane, getting over there, performing for 30 minutes and getting off and thinking, hang on, I've got more. And it just seemed ridiculous to be travelling so far and doing something for doing so little with my time there. So I thought, fuck this. Next time I travel, I'm staying all day. You know, I'm going to set up and, and, and make something of it. And um, so this is uh, kind of an exaggerated version of that where I'm turning up and I'm staying you know, and, and trying to make something epic out of it. And the idea is to make something with vibrations travelling through air and pushing out radiant light from projection, you know. So it's those two uh, elements coming together, uh, light and air, which usually are ephemeral, but I want them to be physical, that you feel it, that it's really felt, that it's not just about seeing or hearing, but that your chest... Um, uh, experiences the work, not just your eyes or your ears. There's a certain physicality and brutality to it, and um, that's that's really important, you know. And that I really want the audience to remember that they're alive. That's really important for me in my work. That you have a pulse, and a lot of the time we forget that we're alive. And the past couple of years have been a really hard time in terms of acknowledging mortality in terms of acknowledging the risks of contamination. Marco's work thinks a lot about binaries of, you know, chaos and order and um, maximalism and minimalism, contamination and purity. And it's been a really complicated time at a global social and political scale to think about the impact of care around these ideas of kind of what it is to be alive, our accountability to the lives of others, you know. And, you know, that's something we took very seriously with this project. In May 2020, we um, 
we realised that the world had changed and we knew that things were different. And we made a we spoke to the Australia Council and we decided to merge the work together into an installation of performances one work in the pavilion. And it can be one person in a room or a hundred. And do you want to speak a bit about that, Marco, and that kind of process of transforming this project and, and what Disasters is? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll speak about the title first because that gives some indication of the spirit. Um, disasters uh, came from a few different sources. One is um, uh, my obsession with a Japanese doom metal band called Corrupted, who are from Osaka. They're all they're Japanese, but all their... Uh, song titles, lyrics, literature, everything is in Spanish. It's like, what the fuck? Why? You know, but I've always found it intriguing. Huh? The, uh, the other thing is that um, uh, going through so many lockdowns uh, in Melbourne and, um, and they were super extended and I was locked out of my studio um, working from a bedroom. Um, I was... Well... I started thinking about Goya because one of the first words I searched for this, for the archive images, was the word disasters, which led me on to Goya, his series Disasters de la Guerra. And, I, I, you know, he, when he made that work, he was um, banished to a farmhouse after he went deaf, so he lost his, um, his job as the court painter, and he was sent off to the farmhouse, deaf, and there he did a few series, one of them being disasters of war but he made that from his imagination he wasn't in the battlefield he was in a farmhouse so this idea of making work from your imagination which I was doing from a bedroom as well kind of made sense you know I did start thinking about the parallels of that and a lot of the images that I've sourced are from art history ancient history natural history and so on and um, I was thinking about Goya being you know the link between the classical and the modern, let's say. And so, um, you know, that, that um, connection with the, making work through imagination, you know, there's no site visits, have to kind of imagine this piece, how it's going to sit in the pavilion. There's no meetings with any of the engineers, technicians on site. It's all done from a bedroom through the pus of Zoom meetings. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, like corrupted, Goya, disasters. The world, you know, in these last two years has been in upheaval, so it, it kind of made sense. And the images that I was grabbing fitted that theme, so it just seemed appropriate um, to, to, for a title like that. The other thing is, in Venetian dialect, the Italian word is disastri, but in, Italian, in Venetian it's kind of disaster, disastre. Uh, you know, it's kind of said more like the Spanish, you know, so I'm, all these thoughts are going around in my head, and it just seemed um, appropriate to kind of use that as the title. It's kind of given yeah, the Spanish occupied Europe, they had a treaty with the Venetians. Um, and so that kind of Creole as well. We, we did, you know, the irony is not lost in us that we're calling the Australian Pavilion disastrous. And I will also acknowledge that the Australian Council didn't flinch from there, the commissioner for the pavilion now. That was a radical decision a few years ago to take that kind of position more actively from the Australian Council. And Marco and I have been able to work with the teams at the Australian Council over the past three years in a very integrated way. And it was a pus of Zoom meetings. It is now a verb. You know, it really required a lot from Marco. He was very honest and vulnerable at every 
every stage. Um, and he took the Australia Council, often teams of up to 20 people in a room, listening to why the work was changing. Even when Marco was in the world's longest lockdown and stuck in the spare bedroom, he would sit in those Zoom meetings and be honest with our collaborators at the Australia Council. And that takes a lot. Um, from somebody to do that. And I think it is really worth acknowledging that this opportunity for artists is one that requires them to lean into being vulnerable. And, and there's a degree in the performance as well, Marco. We talk about vulnerability, fragility, frailty, because this is, this is a fuck-off marathon. Mm. You know, can you talk a little bit about what that is? Um, I've made quite a few projects now which are um, live and alive, and they're very satisfying because I set up the framework template and then let's see what happens. And this is kind of a mega version of that. And I find that really compelling and interesting because it's alive and anything could happen during it. And um, for me, it's exciting as the artist, but uh, also for the audience, things are unpredictable and the, the direction the work may take. So it's only at the end that the work makes sense and the last project I did in Venice was very similar, uh, called From the Horde to the Bee, where uh, it only made sense at the end. And that work basically was trying to launder money from the Venice Biennale and send it across the country to an anarchist squad in Milan. It's a longer story than that. I won't go into it here, but it worked, but it didn't make sense till the end, till I had tens and tens of thousands of euros on a table, shoved them into a garbage bag, and gave them to the guys at the squat. And, and um, so this similarly, um, and I'm thinking of it in its entirety, you know, as in, okay, I can sit on that kind of sound for X amount of time, then it could morph into this, morph into that, change images quickly, slowly, or whatever. But I'm thinking of it as a kind of, you know, nine-month work or whatever. So, um, and it's paced out, you know, and I'm thinking through all those things with all the contingencies in place, just in case, just in case. But for me, that idea of it being um, alive, open, that will always be different no matter when you walk in. That what you experience on day one will be different what you experience on day 1.1. Or, you know, but towards the end, obviously, it's just changing all the time. And I, don't, I can't predict it. And I think that's always a good thing. It's not dead, it's alive. It's really uh, uh, an active um, studio, workshop, laboratory. I might bring things in and out of the pavilion that I gather along the way that I think are relevant to it. You know, it might be, I don't know, newspaper clipping, um, dog, I don't know. But I certainly want it to be, I want to be open to whatever's going on. Invasions, I don't know, whatever. I think... Yeah, like I think something that we do really want audiences to know is the old rules are off. Um, you know, there are is an amazing generational change happening in this Venice Biennale. There's other artists working in the space of experimental noise and music, like Dumb Type with the Japanese Pavilion, which are an incredible collaboration, and Letitia Akash with the Swiss Pavilion. There's an amazing focus on transhistorical practices, particularly through feminist, non-binary, intersectional, and LGBTQI through Cecilia Alamane's curated exhibition, but that transhistorical kind of way of working with the material of time speaks very keenly to Marco's work. There's a very strong focus on First Nations. People can come and experience the Biennale in a way that works for them. And that's a really exciting thing. It's a little bit more open. It's a little bit more horizontal. Having the artists there every day come for the last week for the Australian Pavilion and see what's happened to Marco's performance and work through that seven months duration. Um, because, you know, what he will have embodied in that time will be quite remarkable. 
And we did think a lot about these things in the development of this work. We've, we've developed a kind of this custom unit which takes the sound in and then pushes the sound out with the images tightly synchronised. And with that device, I can kind of run sound through it. For example, I can run feedback through it from the guitar and I can walk away so I can go to the toilet or whatever, you know, and then it does its thing. So there's, there's the possibility where I can you know, interact, pull it back a bit, come back, alter, shapeshift it, you know. It's intense, and but uh, it's, a, you know, it's, it's also something I'm very uh, excited and engaged with and you know, I want to see and do them. He's built like a remarkable, yeah, Marco comes out of this kind of DIY subcultural kind of, you know, expanded music community as well as his kind of practice in the visual arts. And the infrastructure that's been built for this project is both entirely kind of lo-fi and high-end. The equipment in, in, in this installation, and, and I've used this kind of, refer, these references before where it's, it's the infrastructure from staging, from spectacle. And I'm interested in bringing that into the gallery because in my lifetime, again, it's the museum and the gallery has gone from one of contemplation to one of entertainment. And so uh, I'm interested in playing with that idea. A lot, of, a lot of people, older people, get pissed off that shift has happened. But I feel like, well, you know, deal with it. And so I'll amplify that. I want to amplify that and really um, play on it. So I'm bringing in kind of, in, in this in instance, some huge elements from, from those worlds to kind of saturate the audience with spectacle and, and you know, again, make them feel something. There is a magical moment when you're working as the artistic team on the Venice Biennale where they ask you to do a stakeholder matrix. Um, and it's a fun exercise for an artist. And uh, apparently we were the first artistic team for whom 60% of our first stakeholders were people who don't like the work. And it's not because we, it's not because we don't want you to be engaged with the work and it's not because we don't take responsibility for the work. But we, want, we are aware that when people walk into the pavilion at Venice, they, they look for three seconds. There's so much work in Venice that people judge quickly. And we want you to walk in and if you're going to hate it, hate it right away. And if you're going to like it and want to stay longer or push yourself, do that. Come back the next day. Come back the next day. It's up to you. But we are interested in that process of self-determination and of audiences being able to be invited to make up their own minds, you know, and that's kind of important to us. Yeah, but there's an assumption uh, for an artist that, that an artist makes work to be liked, which I find completely absurd and ridiculous. Likes on social media, likes everywhere. Uh, I'm aware that my references are oblique, marginal, unpopular. You know, I come from uh, experimental music underground in the subgenre of noise. There's like 20 people in each city around the world that are into it. That's the reality. Doing death metal. Yeah, you know, and, and these kind of extreme forms of metal, you know, grindcore, doom metal, black metal. You know, that's what I'm interested in, along with conceptual art. You know, so that's kind of, you know, wanker territory for a lot of people. So I'm operating in these worlds, which are down there, you know, and so... You know, I, I get it. You, a lot of people don't like that stuff. They're, you know, they're, it's not about uh, an applied craft where, oh, how did he do that? How did she do it? You know, it's not about the craft. It's about ideas and, um, you know, using the appropriate uh, materials to best um, present uh, that idea. You know, I have to go into it thinking... Fuck everyone, you know, I'm here and I'm, I'm into it and this is what I'm doing, I don't care, you know. And that's partly why 
one of the reasons in these in these durational performances I perform with my back to the audience because I can't take on you know who's there I can't I, I, I can't care who's there you know I've got to really concentrate on what's what I'm hearing and feeling in order for me to drive it and push it around in the way I want as soon as I see someone I don't want to see then you know I get frazzled or whatever you know so it's really important that I'm in the zone and oblivious to any external um, uh, distractions. I would say to that though, you know, Marco comes, he you know, grew up in Noble Park, he began his working life in a sign writing factory. This work's not elitist. Like we're not, you know, it is intelligent, rigorous, complicated, risk-taking, experimental and downright hard work. Like it's hard realism. You know, it is accessible because you do recognise the images that come up. If you look at the disastrous feed, if you look at the score, the images are there. They're taken from everything from art history through subculture and popular culture, mainstream media and news. They exist in the public domain. But it's not just there to tell one easy, singular, linear version of history or encounter or theme. It's not there to reduce the complexity of the times in which we live. It completely engages with the full and layered and granular and constantly shape-shifting nature of the times in which we find ourselves, which are complicated, you know, and that's important. And you can do that. The work is very accessible in its physicality. It's more complicated in its layers. And that's good. We can do that as Australians. Like, our artists are incredible. We make great art in Australia. And our artists present complicated ideas that operate at a number of registers. And this work will do that in the pavilion. And it will do it with a level of integrity and showing up each day and walking away each day that actually says something about who we are. That's actually really important. Marco's has a loathing of narrative and romantic cinema and he hates you know pop songs and we're not telling you a simple story but we are giving you something to encounter and that's important you know and encounters are really rare after we've all been locked in our bedrooms for two years 260 days in Melbourne Marco sitting up there with a Canon printer printing out images of the score you know a series of burnt out inkjet printers in the wake which Kim and the family take down to recycling we want you to be able to engage we want audiences to be able to be included, and we want it to be open. The archive of images is vast, and I have the ability to add images along the way. Because uh, of the amount of images and then the way they're manipulated in the machine is such a huge job. Um, I got frustrated along the way of downloading images. Computers would crash, hard drives would fail, and so on. At a certain point, I just thought, fuck this. And I got my phone and just started taking shots off the screen. And um, the, the photos, the images are morayed out of focus. They're, t they're terrible, so they're perfect. So a lot of the images are also kind of, you know, granular, distorted, and, but they're always of something from that portal that's shining back at us. No matter how pixelated and granular, you can still make it out. And it's it's, it's the spew of the world coming back at you. It's all noise. Everything is noise. So my idea of entertaining with noise is just the world coming back at you. You know, it's a purge. Uh, but it's also a negation. And I've never worked out if, if I'm purging or negating. It kind of sits in between. And I kind of like that tension, you know, those tensions. I think it's also important, like, in a work like The Infinitives, where you have, you know, subjects about to release a handmade missile, 
It doesn't identify particular uprisings or moments, but instead represents a particular action that happens through the collective history of uprisings. So Marco was, you know, we've worked very closely, as he does in, we've worked together a number of times over the years. Um, and Marco always works closely not to instrumentalise particular examples of social or political uprising to illustrate them as examples of anything. Instead, he's working more with the ubiquity of certain gestures or recurrent movements or moments of collapse or tension through time. So we don't want to appropriate anybody else's trauma. We don't want to reinstate that trauma through instrumentalising conflicts or moment of political tension or uprising. But Marco does want to speak to the complexity of the eternal return of these moments of crisis, as we are seeing in the Ukraine at the moment, you know? It's it's a tragedy that this is happening. It's it's horrific, but it's it's something that's consistent with a pattern through history. And so Marco won't illustrate the Ukraine moment, but the work speaks to these things through time. There's, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in those kind of tensions around opposing forces, and that's a lot of that is in, always in the works. Like uh, Alexi said before, this idea of noise versus silence or the underground versus the institution and um, minimalism versus maximalism, order disorder, all these things are a big part of my thinking and, and, and the work and, and it's in this this work as well. Like when you see the images you can see that there's this kind of friction and that friction is, uh, you know, those binaries coexist, you know, and I don't want one to go from the other because I think that's humanity. We're always like this, you know? Yes, there's a, 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 a publication and it's about 400 pages. The first 200 are images from the score, which you can also see some on the Instagram handle. Is that what it is? Yep. Yeah, yeah, called Disasters underscore Disasters. And then um, there are some uh, a series of texts, essays and texts in the book. Uh, an essay by... Uh, Brandon W. Joseph in uh, New York. Uh, he's a professor of art history at Columbia who uh, wrote uh, a major article feature on the Art Forum 10 years ago. Um, and he is uh, an incredible writer around experimental art, around experimental film, music, conceptual art. Really amazing writer. Then we have um, an interview, uh, an extended interview that Alexi and I have done talking about the project. And then we have a series of propositions. One is by uh, Alexi, and then we have three texts by ultra guitarists. Guitarists that I know that I think have extended the language of the instrument. Thurston Moore from uh, a band called Sonic Youth. Stephen O'Malley from uh, Avant Doom metal band called Sun. And Bruce Russell from a band called The Dead Sea, who are kind of seminal noise rock band, have been going for like 40 years, 30 or 40 years. Incredible. And great writers, all in their own way, you know, amazing writers. Then we have texts by archaeologist and filmmaker Elizabeth Povinelli, AI academic Kate Crawford, and beautiful text by the writer, curator Chus Martinez, and all very distinct, different voices. Then we have at the back of the book 160 pages of installation images. We're publishing with Lens, which is they're co-publishing the Australia Council and Lens. Lens is a really amazing international uh, Milan-based um, publisher um, with a 
not-for-profit space called Audet, a man called Eduardo Bonaspete, who founded Moose Publishing. So it'll be great that this book will have really good outreach. So this has been a long collaboration and friendship. The book reflects those conversations. You had a hilarious conversation with Chus Martinez about Benny Hill. Um, yeah, it's a sharp wit. There's a good sense of humour that runs through things. Um, we're also releasing, I suppose you should be aware, there's no tote bag. Australia is not doing a tote bag. <laughs> it's just not in the spirit of the work, you know. <laughs> you, there will be an album of the work, so there's a there's a, a vinyl that's coming out for Disastrous. Mm. But yeah, so if people were thinking to come to Venice for the tote bag, save your money and go to Queensland. Um, but <laughs> you know. And, you know, it's just been a really great process. We've been able to, you know, work with the Australian Council as commissioners to really have the artists supported and to really throw out some of the old rules and, and come up with different kinds of strategies and ways of thinking about this project and what the pavilion can be. I, I, I'm fascinated watching the audiences in um, galleries and museums and how they take in artwork. And um, I feel like a lot of the time people just kind of just walk through quite quickly and, you know, shoulders down and, you know, and and I just feel like maybe it could be different in that context, you know, like it can give them a bit of a charge possibly. And I don't mean to say um, that, I'm, I'm talking in general as well, that we have to remember that so many of us take things for granted, you know, and you just go about doing your thing, you're doing your thing. I step back sometimes and think, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this, I'm alive, and, and, and this is a great moment, and, and, and I feel like I want to be reminded of that. That's Marco Fusanato with Alexi Glass Cantor talking about his work at the Venice Biennale, a remarkable open and candid conversation about what is equally a remarkable Australian contribution to this year's Biennale in Venice. There is a link to the work at www.disastresdisastres.com, D-E-S-A-S-T-R-E-S. But to make it easier, if you search via the Australia Council website, you'll get to it there, or you can find a link in the description of this podcast episode, www.insidethegallery.com.au. That is the podcast for now. For a full transcript, that's also available at www.insidethegallery.com.au. I'm Tim Stackpool. Bye-bye for now.